Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me, before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Welcome back to Health Mystery Solved, Thyroid and Hashimoto's Revealed. I am so excited for today because it is the continuation of the last episode, episode 153, where I sat down with Emily Sadri for a deep dive on what actually happens in perimenopause and how it leads into menopause and how we can support it individually for each woman. We discussed my latest case, Justine, who is 44 and dealing with what seems like overnight weight gain around her abdomen, more brain fog, and a lessened tolerance for stress in addition to overall inflammation. We talked about the many misconceptions about hormones, when they actually start to decline, the symptoms that not enough practitioners are speaking about, and we introduced the physiological restoration approach, something that is not talked about nearly enough but has tremendous benefits. Today, we're digging even further into this approach exactly who it is for, all the possible benefits, and how to properly use it so that you can go to your provider armed with as much information as possible to really be your own health advocate. Please be sure that you listen to episode 153, the one right before this first, because this episode builds on that conversation. Okay, without further ado, here's the continuation of my conversation with Emily, and after the interview, I reveal how we solved Justine's mystery, including the tests and the protocols that we used, so be sure that you tune in till the end. Okay, here we go. So if someone is looking to support hormones, you know, this is definitely the type of support that's going to be the most comprehensive, but where would they start? So first of all, is this something that you want to start while you're still cycling or can you start this later? Most of the time you don't need like full throttle, full dosing, you know, massively, you know, higher doses on day 12 and 21 protocol until you're closer to menopause. I find that a lot of women like your patient um, it, you know, really depends on what their labs say, but many women who are still cycling, meaning that they're still ovulating, right? We know they're still ovulating. This is a big differentiating factor, right? Versus the woman who's maybe 
having a cycle every three to six months, that's a very different story, right? She's not ovulating regularly. But the woman who's ovulating regularly but just has suboptimal estrogen, they actually usually do really well with just a milligram or two milligrams of estrogen transdermally daily. So just a little bit to kind of bump everything up. And then, of course, you would track and monitor and kind of look at does their cycle lengthen out? You know, how much progesterone would you like to use with that little bit of estrogen? You know, knowing that they're still ovulating. And obviously, if, if someone doesn't know if they're ovulating or you don't know, you always have to use progesterone. And then, you you know, you monitor and see what, well, what do your levels look like? Like I've had women on a small dose like that of estrogen. They do really, really well. And then all of a sudden two or three years in, like they, you see a decline again. And so they need to bump it up. Which makes sense because their own hormones are going down. And so you have to adjust. Correct. Their own hormones are still there, right? It's not enough to suppress their own hormones. So they're still making their own estrogen. So it's always, you always want to be monitoring. So I, I, I am wary of anyone who does hormone replacement where they're not testing. And can I just tell you how often this happens? I mean, there's so many local doctors near here, you know, when my clients asked me for referrals and especially they wanted someone who may take insurance and I say, okay, well, there's this gynecologist. I know he does it. And he will say like, I just want your hot flashes to go away. We don't need to test. If they go away, we're fine. Yep. Because what they're looking for in that is this is that's the symptom resolution model, right? That's not the health optimization model. So it's just two different models. And I guess it makes sense if you're just looking to make symptoms go away. Sure, that works. Like give but that's also the model of give them the lowest amount possible to make their symptoms go away. And we're not caring about anything else. Right. And so the problem with that is that. Most of those women will have maybe hot flashes go away, but they don't they don't see the, the return of mood. They don't see the return of sleep. A lot of people don't understand. We talk about progesterone and sleep all the time, but it's actually estrogen that's really modulating the circadian rhythm, right? Estrogen is a precursor for formation of serotonin, and we need serotonin to make melatonin. And that's just not happening. And so, you know, you can give someone so much progesterone, but if they're on a minimal dose of estrogen, they're going to still tell you that they're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of times they'll be on a pretty high dose. Like the progesterone could be as high as 200, whereas their estrogen might be less than a milligram, if that. Yeah. Which is like, does that make no sense, <laughs> right? Like these two hormones that really work in concert with one another. And if you don't have enough estrogen, you don't have enough progesterone receptors. So you can give them all the progesterone in the world and it's not going to do anything. Such a good point. Because you need the estrogen to upregulate those those receptors. So yeah. if you're not testing, I think it's really hard to to get someone like the full spectrum of benefits. Um, and, and you know, what we see with women is in some women, of course, we put on static hormones because that's what they prefer and that supports their lifestyle. And that's, it's actually just too complicated for them to do rhythmic. Also, if you're doing a rhythmic hormone replacement, you're going to have a period. And that's a very good point, which is fine if you're in perimenopause, but I can understand if someone is already in menopause or has been in menopause for a little bit, you know, they may or may not like that. Yeah, just maybe they or maybe they do can do rhythmic for a little while, but then they just decide they don't want to continue. Although, you know, uh, I I have seen that people who go off of it and maybe go on just a low dose static hormone replacement or stop it altogether be even worse. But they just, you know, it's night and day how they feel like they everything comes back, right? The brain fog, the fatigue, the just low energy, poor exercise tolerance, um, lack of drive for things you know, so many other things, the the body composition issues, right? Um, all of that stuff goes away if you when you stop. So if someone is doing the restoration protocol, then they should expect to get a period. Now, let's just say that someone may have had 
you know, bad periods when they were younger. Maybe they were very heavy, you know, which that has its own host of um, underlying issues. And then, you know, their hormones are tested properly and supported, and then they go on the protocol and, you know, they continue to bleed, but maybe they've had trauma, you know, with just having these really bad, heavy cycles. When the hormones are supported properly in this way, would their bleeding be more sort of quote unquote normal, or are they still at risk of experiencing these really heavy, painful periods? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's such a good question. It was probably one of the first things that I thought of when, you know, when we talked about this. So when I, when I was first learning this methodology, um, but it's really fascinating. Most of the time when someone has say endometriosis or something like that, there's a, there's an issue, there's an inflammation autoimmune kind of component to that. And estradiol like in its pure form is actually really anti-inflammatory. So I've actually treated some women who have even just very mild suboptimal, you know, estrogen with a tiny bit of estradiol and seen their, their endometriosis symptoms, like almost completely reverse. Of course, we're doing other things, lots of heavy anti-inflammatories and they're doing all of the gut support and they're doing all of the other functional pieces. Um, but it is really amazing that, you know, especially if you're, if you're, patient, right? If the person has come in in their 40s and like the the heavy bleeding and the painful periods were newer in their 40s because of that really erratic estrogen behavior where it was like you're getting this unopposed estrogen and then you're getting like lack of ovulation and they're having like they'll call it flooding, right? Women will say like I'm just flooding. It's like crazy. That all goes away when you restore, you know, the cycle because they're not getting those huge doses, they're not going to get up to five, 600 on day five of their cycle anymore, right? And create this big uterine lining. And then it drops down again. And then they're low, low, low. And then they get another big dose of estrogen. And then by the time they get their cycle 60 days later, they built up this huge uterine lining, right? And then they're having this, this really big bleeding. So usually you see a lot of normalization. It's really fascinating. And same thing with um, people who have like hormonal headaches, you know, you may take a, may take a little bit of tweaking with the dose. Um, but you'll see that, you know, if you're repairing that pattern, it's like smoothing it out. It's kind of like how I'd like to think of it. It's like, you're just sort of smoothing out those transitions because it's similar to the trigger for a hot flash, right? There's a vasomotor like piece to that, like the, the vasoactive, it changes the way our blood vessels are dilating or constricting. You can just smooth out that transition. So it's not going from high to low so quickly, then you reduce or and eliminate that symptom. Yeah. And that's something I've experienced personally, and it's been super helpful. Um, just doing that little bit of estrogen in those days that, cause I get headaches and that's more recent since this kind of early onset of perimenopause where they happen towards the end of my cycle. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people experience that. And oftentimes, you know, people are scared of estrogen because they think, well, estrogen is creating the headache. And it's like, well, no, it's the change, right? It's that sudden change that's doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, I have such success with using and we even will break up the estrogen dose instead of giving it twice a day, we give it three times a day, so that they're not like cycling through and like hitting a hitting a, a you know, a bottoming out essentially with their estrogen. And so it minimizes that. Right. How long does it typically take for estrogen to process? Like, you know, because for like thyroid, for example, and if someone's taking T3, you know, it has a pretty short half-life. So some people will take it twice a day if they get that dip. Is it similar with a bioidentical estrogen like that? Yeah, about 12 hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we always dose it twice daily. And then again, some people need it three times daily. And I actually find that, you know, when you're using the transdermal creams, you kind of have to find a, like a fatty area. So we recommend people use either like the back of the bicep tricep area or like the inner thigh. That's so interesting because I've always thought 
wrists or inner elbows. Mm -mm, No. So no. Okay. No, you want an area with good circulation. So that's why you don't use the abdomen because it doesn't get like it doesn't have a big muscle group there. So it doesn't get great circulation. But you also want it to have some fat. We recommend only like the backs of the upper arms or the inner upper thighs or like kind of like the under behind the like underneath the butt kind of like in that like back of the thigh area. Um, And those areas, they create like a depot, right? So they sort of hold on to the hormone and they make the release like the metabolism of that hormone a little bit slower. Um, And so we do that twice a day. But what I find is that sometimes women who are a little thinner, like they don't have a lot of fat there they metabolize too fast. And so those are the women that we either do three times a day, or sometimes they do a low dose estradiol patch just to keep just to keep them from bottoming out. And then we cycle with the transdermal cream over that. So just getting like adding just a little bit just to bring them right again. And it's interesting, because there's a big misconception, like, some people will think of this as like, oh, you do high dose hormone replacement. No, I don't. Like, it's not high dose. It's just rhythmic. So right. That's such a good point. It's higher a couple times a month, but it's not high dose estrogen replacement. Like it's not like a pellet of estrogen, which would like shoot your estrogen way up and it would stay there. That doesn't really do you any good. Right. And high estrogen also makes people feel crappy too. It's like, it makes you feel ragey and a little anxious and kind of keyed up. Right. And that nobody wants that either. Right. It's it's more that we want to be able to turn on and, and upregulate those progesterone receptors with that peak on day 12. But it's not across the board high. Right. It's just modulated. It's like modulated estrogen. Yeah. Now, this makes so much sense. You're essentially doing what the body normally wants to do. What you're saying then is that if someone is starting to experience symptoms, and I think for those who are in tune, almost everyone's going to experience something around 41, 42, right? It may not be enough to really think, oh, it's hormones, but it is, right? Because that's when it starts, you know, and then it kind of progressively goes down since then. But at that early time, if they test, and ideally they'll do a day 12 and 21, right? And if one of those is low, they could be okay with doing a low dose estrogen through the cycle without having to do the peaks because they'll just increase their peaks naturally, right? Yeah, because they're already peaking and they're already ovulating. So as long as you're ovulating, that often will work. And sometimes, you know, it kind of goes in phases. So like you might start with a small dose twice a day and then you might just increase on days nine through 12. Mm-hmm. Like just go up a little bit on days nine through 12 and then go back down to your baseline. We'll do that sometimes. Um, and that alone will help like lengthen the period and help, you know, regulate um, that whole cycle. And then, you know, you just keep watching them. The next progression would be like a low dose rhythmic. So there are, you know, we, we have this protocol and we have your sort of initial protocol, which would say the amount of estrogen is you know different every day. And then there's initial minus one, initial minus two, initial minus three, or initial plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four even, right? So it it could be anywhere on that spectrum, which I love because everything in life is a spectrum, right? You're not robots. You do not have just one program that works for everyone. And so then even within that minus one or plus one or plus two, whatever you're doing, you can tweak, right? Between certain days, depending on the person's individual makeup symptoms and kind of how they're feeling. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, your head is spinning and you're like, how could someone even do this? No, I think it takes a special kind of person to want to take on this, right? It's it's sort of like the person who wants to do fertility awareness, like someone who's really interested in using a non you know, not having a hormonal birth control, but they really want to understand their fertility. And I don't actually think it's not so much work as that, but it's the same kind of, I'm interested in that. Like I'm, because with, with 
physiologic restoration, you do need to track your symptoms, right? We have people use period tracking apps. I love natural cycles. That one's, I think that one's one of the paid ones, but I just love the way that, you know, you open up the app and it brings you to the day of your cycle. It tells you what day you're on. So you're like, oh, I'm on day 13 and these are the symptoms I'm having. Or I'm day 24. These are the symptoms I'm having. And I actually, especially if you're a cycling woman in your 40s, I want you to track your your symptoms like that for me for a month before we even talk about hormones. I want to test in that first month and I want you to be tracking. Because a lot of the time we're also having symptoms and we're not even tying them to our hormones. And I'm like, but isn't it interesting how you have this very specific symptom that starts on day 21 and goes till day 25, right? Then you have this other symptom here, like, let's talk about the connection there. Um, And I don't know, I think from a philosophical perspective, anything that connects us more to our body is going to advance our health. Our body wants to be listened to. It's like telling us things because it wants us to hear and respond. So I, I digress a little bit. But you know, for some people, the the protocol seems overwhelming at first. But then once you get into the rhythm of it, it, you know, the pharmacy is that we use, there's a few pharmacies that do this, but the pharmacy that we use is wonderful. And like, they send you a little card that, you know, makes it very easy to know every single day what you're doing. And then you have that, you know, app to track that kind of grounds you in, okay, and on day this, I know what I'm doing. I know what my, what my um, routine is. Yeah. Cause really all you have to do is track the day you're on because the card will tell you, you know, you'll have an est- a tube of estrogen, right? And a tube of progesterone. And they'll say on this day, use, you know, this many twists of the tube versus this many twists. So it's not like you have five different medication dosages and you have bottles everywhere. It's the same tube. You're just applying different amounts of it on different days. So all you have to do really is track the day you're on, which, you know, a good app, a card, a calendar, your phone, you know, any of those things can do. Yeah. No, it's so easy. And and I, I actually find that so many of the women who come to us in the beginning, they're experiencing so much overwhelm. And I think one of the symptom, early symptoms of perimenopause that no one's talking about is loss of stress tolerance. Yes. It's like, I used to be able to handle so much and now I just feel like I'm failing at everything. And Yeah, that on top of brain fog, right? Like that'll send you over the edge. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is, you know, a, a lot of talk about how we can mindset our way out of these things. Like, how many Instagram reels are there every day about, you know, doing less and having less overwhelm and your mindset around it and blah, 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 blah. But there truly is a loss of stress tolerance, which makes sense. You think about what's happening in the physiology, the phys- that your body is also less tolerant to input and to inflammation and things like that. So in the beginning, it may seem difficult, but then once you have the benefits of estrogen, you're like, oh, actually, this is really easy because I'm just thinking more clearly and I can multitask and I can do things like I used to. So in your opinion, then, it would be best if people are able to, if women are able, right, to start tracking, do some testing on day 12 and 21, and to do that in their early 40s, right, if they are able to and catch it in time, and then start to support it from then, and then adjust, and obviously work with someone like yourself who really specializes in this and understands, because there's just so many nuances. It's not just like, here's a cream, you know, I'll see you in six months. But the ideal, right, would be to start in your early 40s, and then kind of adjust from there, and then continue after menopause, where really, I mean, if they continue to cycle, you're the only way they're going to know they're in menopause is because the labs would show FSH, right? Or Well, the labs won't show, right? Because if you're treating them with physiologic levels of estrogen and progesterone, they're going to have low FSH and LH. That's a good point. Okay. You don't really know. All right. And they're going to continue bleeding, right? So they really 
will not know when they're in menopause. Exactly. But then I'm assuming with this, they're not going to experience hot flashes or dryness or any of the other symptoms or loss of tone. None of them. Yeah. Yeah. None of them. And I will say, you know, like there are definitely, there are probably women who don't, you know, want, need, I think these are all really subjective things. I think it's sort of like your body, your choice, right? It's like, if you are someone who cares about feeling better and you just, this is something that you want, like you can seek it out. I don't think most of the world is going to start using hormones in their forties because there's just not the understanding, you know, just as much with functional medicine about, you know, things as basic as like cleaning up your gut will help your health. And, you know, there are certainly women who feel a little off in their forties and with a lot of adrenal repair, their estrogen levels will be peak. They will for a little bit, right? For a little bit. Absolutely. And that's, good for them. Right. But then it's, oh, it is going to happen. <laughs> <Some boy. laughs> right. Right. It's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also, and I know you and I have talked about this offline just personally where, you know, you start to see hormones decline and there's almost a little bit of a denial. Sometimes it's like, oh, well, we're too young or we still have a little babies. Like, well, it can't be happening now. Like I'm just going to pretend it's not here because it's just too weird. Right. Or too. So there could be a little bit of that. Oh, hundred percent. I was definitely a grief. I mean, I think we also like value women who are able to bear children and who are, you know, full of hormones. We just, we start to devalue women once they become, you know, quote unquote, old and gray. Like, and so there's, there's a lot of that subtle stuff in our culture that I think makes women feel like they're, they don't, they don't want to admit that maybe a little estrogen would help them because that seems like something an older woman would do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, in, in fertility treatments, they're giving women oral estradiol all the time because they have low, low follicular phase estrogen and they need that estrogen to make a nice egg. Yeah, that's true. And, I, you know, it's interesting because I, I use a lot of things that we do functionally for fertility to improve egg quality. You know, we can do a lot of those same things like vitamin, high-dose vitamin A and, you know, vit- vitamin E and vitamin C and zinc and D and all the different things that we use antioxidants to help improve egg quality, we use those sometimes in early perimenopause, right, to improve hormone production, and it works for a little while. And but it's really not much different, right, to use a little bit of hormone, especially once you understand the risks, right. Um, And this, I think was important to also say that this model is really hard to translate to like a big medical industrial kind of model, because there are so many nuances, right. If somebody has, you know, liver congestion and they really need liver support, they have chronic viral issues, um, they're living in mold, right? Like there are, there are subtle, more subtle issues that I want to see addressed before I'm just throwing someone on hormones, right? This is not like a 10 minute visit, here's your hormones kind of thing, right? This is like really getting to know the person and maybe working on their health for a few months before they're starting hormones. Um, and that that's just not the framework, like in a larger system. And if I was seeing 20 patients a day, I certainly couldn't do that. Right. And so I think some of the, that seems scary or unsafe or like too much comes from like just a model where we're not really getting the chance to see someone from that whole body perspective. And we're not saying like, well, I want to make sure that you're pooping every day. All those things are so important. Now, if someone's listening to this and, you know, maybe they're 48 or 49 and maybe they've just started, you know, they've hit menopause or maybe they're very close to it and they weren't able to do some of the things as they were going through perimenopause, what are the options for them? Is this something that they can start or what if they've, you know, already stopped cycling and it's been a year or two? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the literature is very supportive that if you start hormones within 10 years of your last period, the benefits out 
outweigh the risks. Great to know. We see people all the time, you know, who come in and maybe they haven't had a period or maybe they had a hysterectomy for heavy bleeding or an ablation or something because those things often happen in the mid 40s due to that erratic estrogen. They feel like they, you know, get their life back. And that's where you would do the full PR protocol with someone, unless, of course, they prefer the static approach. But those are people that do really, really well symptomatically and, you know, feel like they come back online. But I will also say, it takes, we don't even retest for the first three months because it takes that long. And someone who's been, you know, ha- had so little hormone to get those receptors back online. Okay. So it's not just about giving hormone, it's about the body then actually accepting them properly. A hundred percent. So it's like, it, it can take three months of giving the same dose and you won't see the rise until month three. Interesting. Now I know you like to test blood, but you also do the Dutch test. But one of the things that I know you do is you do the cycle mapping test versus just a one-day Dutch. Can you talk a little bit about the benefits of that and why that is much more important than just doing the one-day? The one-day is great, um, obviously, for an adrenal picture. You know, you can't, you know, we really love to see that. I love I love the organic acid section that they have on the Dutch test now where you get melatonin and glutathione and all that good stuff. But in terms of for just the simple Dutch for, you know, estrogen and progesterone, I I often see that it's misleading there that someone can have low estrogen. It's coming up as high because you're not kind of getting that whole picture of like that erratic nature. Um, And it's also metabolites. So it's a little, it's just more challenging. Um, So I always do a Dutch test so that I can understand someone's, especially their metabolism, estrogen metabolism, you know, if they're going down that four hydroxy or two hydroxy or 16 hydroxy pathway, do they need methylation support, et cetera. It's really important to see. And I want to correct those things before starting HRT. Um, But I love the cycle mapping, especially if it's um, someone who's perimenopausal, maybe they're having a lot of symptoms around a certain point in their cycle. Um, Maybe, maybe their serum labs are like, okay, too. You know, maybe their serum labs are almost adequate or like they're they're close. So you're sort of like, hmm, I wonder what's actually going on here. I think it's really nice in that case or if they're, um, you know, having longer cycles, slightly longer. So the very it wouldn't be someone who's like not having a cycle, obviously cycle mapping. But if they're like 23 to 25 days or they're 30 to 36 days, 32 to 36 days, like those longer cycles, you kind of um, that can be really helpful. I also just think it's really interesting to see. Um, and for like my, I have like a migraine uh, client who is in her mid forties and she really needed to see the whole trajectory of what was going on with her estrogen. And she had really similar to my other perimenopausal patient I mentioned before where her estrogen peaked on day five. And then it was basically like suboptimal flatline the whole rest of the cycle. And she was having terrible migraines and all she needed was a little bit of estrogen support three times a day. And we were able to restore that cycle because she's still ovulating. She had beautiful progesterone and estrogen was just bottomed out, right? So in that case, it was like really beautiful to be able to show her that and for her to say, oh yeah, these are the symptoms I have in these days. And for her to see that estrogen, all it took was estrogen to fluctuate a little bit and drop a little bit to trigger big symptoms for her because she was already so suboptimal. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. That it's because you think, oh, it just went down by a little bit. But if you're already so low, there's just that threshold it hits and it's like, boom, I feel that myself personally as well. Yeah. So I like it from that perspective. The the part, the hard part with um, cycle mapping is that it's, you know, time consuming and then you're waiting for results. So it can delay treatment by two or three months. And so if I can get enough information from serum testing and from a really good history, then I'll, you know, feel comfortable moving forward with with replacing. But I think, again, it's all about the individual patient and their needs and like their own personal understanding and personal journey. 
Yeah. So whatever's going to support them to like, no, this is where I am and this is what's happening. And now I get to make a really informed decision about, you know, these are the options now that I have. And, but they feel like nobody wants to be rushed into a decision like starting hormones. Of course, exactly. One last question before we wrap up here. In terms of estrogen metabolism, you mentioned that you're looking at that, which is of course so important. And, you know, a lot of practitioners in functional medicine are talking about that. But one interesting thing is that, you know, so often people are putting their patients on estrogen detox supplements when they start estrogen support, but that may not be the best way. Can you talk about that? Yeah, no, I mean, so you're primarily talking about DIM. DIM or calcium deglucrate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, really great um, at supporting not just estrogen detox, but all kinds of detox. But when we're trying to get estrogen back online, it can so rapidly excrete estrogen that then they're not going to get any of the benefits from the estrogen. So I like to lean into like that, you know, phase one um, estrogen metabolism a little bit more and make sure that someone obviously has proper methyl donation, magnesium, um, you know, even a, like glutathione, I'll be a little bit cautious with if someone's very menopausal and we're like really trying to symptom mitigate Earlier on in perimenopause, it's, it's not as big of a deal to use glutathione support. And obviously, there's so many benefits to glutathione, but I'm just cautious and kind of watch their symptoms. And people will say, you know, oh, I took this and then I felt like I was having some, I was having symptoms, like they'll start to really tie. So I would be cautious. I really, really like um, sulforaphane. Me too. I think that that is great because it's not, you know, you're not, it's not going to increase your excretion of estrogen. It's just going to help it kind of it's going to shift where it goes, right? Yeah. Shift the pathway it goes down. And so most of the women that I have on HRT um, are doing magnesium, um, fish oil, because it's just so cardiovascularly protective. It's, you know, a supplement that has you know more literature behind it than anything. And cardiovascular kills more women than anything else. So it's super important to me. They're on some kind of B vitamin, um, you know, according to kind of how their methylation looks, what kind of B vitamin we do. Did I say magnesium already? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so important. They all need magnesium. Um, and then often sulforaphane. Um, and then sometimes glutathione and also zinc. Zinc is really important for uptake and utilization of estrogen. So I'll, sometimes I, like, I love the Zinc Supreme from Designs that has the B vitamins also. That's going to be a nice way to, to combo it. Yeah. No, that's great. Oh, Emily, wealth of information as always. This is so informative. And I think for so many people listening, I mean, not only is it helpful to know about the, all the benefits of estrogen, but also just different ways that we can get estrogen. And I think this physiological restoration protocol is just not talked about nearly as much as it should be. I think it's going to be talked about more and more. And I, I love that, you know, we're talking about it now and people are really seeing all of the benefits of it. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I know that everyone's going to want to know if they don't know you already, how they can contact you, how they can connect with you, how they can maybe get on this protocol with you. So tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. So you can always find me on Instagram, Emily Sadry underscore NP. Um, also over at emilysadry.com. Um, and if you live in Ohio, you can become a patient of our practice. And we always, you know, walk through all of this, you know, really deep hormone evaluation before putting anybody on hormones and follow you with lots of testing, support, follow up, and of course, you know, lifestyle around all of that because it's it's a complete package. It's a whole it's a whole person approach. It's really important. So it's such a pleasure to be here with you again. I could talk forever <laughs> with you. Thank you so much for having me. As you just heard, there is so much when it comes to hormones. Everyone is different. And the key is to really see where each woman is and meet her there, supporting things individually based on what she needs at that time. 
for Justine. She was really happy to hear that there is an explanation for this and that her symptoms made sense because she was really starting to feel like she was crazy. And she is definitely not. And if similar things are happening with you, you are not crazy either. She never realized that even small changes in estrogen can create this. And that initial decline is what was happening to her. So that validation really, really went a long way. To see more though, we did a few tests. We first did a Dutch test, but not just a one-day Snapchat. We did a cycle mapping test through Dutch. So what that is, is where Justine collected her urine and essentially she would just pee on this little card. So almost similar to how you would do a pregnancy test, but it's a little card. And she did that every day throughout her cycle. And then we send that into the lab. The lab then picks nine of the most important days based on all of the notes. And then they graph that. So we see estrogen and progesterone, but not just on one day. We see it over the whole cycle. So we actually see the pattern. We see when it's going up, when it's going down, and what is happening. And then along with this, we also checked serum. So this is her blood. And we looked at estrogen, total estrogens, and estradiol on day 12. And then we also looked at total estrogen, estradiol on day 21, as well as her progesterone on day 21. And then we compared her blood to the Dutch because then we have even more info and we could see so much more. And what we saw from all of this is that she actually had, okay, estrogen on day 12. And looking at her Dutch cycle mapping, her estrogen did go up and she had this nice spike on day 12, which was right before ovulation. So we knew that she was ovulating and there was all the signaling that was happening properly. However, once that estrogen came back down after day 12, it never really went back up the way that it's supposed to around day 21. It went back up a little, but instead of having a nice curve back up, it was just sort of like, eh, and then came back down. Interestingly though, her progesterone was okay. Progesterone did exactly what it was supposed to do. Wasn't doing much until day 14. And then it slowly went up. It peaked on day 21 and then went down. It didn't peak at a very, very high level, but it was still within the normal range. And her blood progesterone level was in the normal range as well, a little bit on the lower side, but it wasn't too bad. And so what we saw was that she was still ovulating. She had that really nice estrogen surge in the beginning, but then not much was happening after. And because her progesterone was overall okay, it was really that estrogen that was more deficient. And so it's so nice to see the hormones together and how they're working because it is such an intricate symphony so we could see what was happening. And so because for her, it was the estrogen that was a little bit low, we worked with her practitioner to do a small dose of estrogen. And we didn't do it just towards the end of her cycle. We actually did it throughout her whole cycle and just a little microdose of it. And what that does is even though she had a nice spike on day 12, when you do estrogen in the beginning of the cycle, it actually helps then to stimulate the receptors so that we can have a better increase later in the cycle. And having enough estrogen in the beginning of the cycle actually helps to stimulate progesterone production. And so while her progesterone was good, it was a little bit on the lower end. And so doing that little bit of estrogen does help with progesterone production later. And since overall progesterone was okay, she didn't really need the progesterone. That little bit of estrogen could do all of that stimulation, at least for right now. 
And so it was great to see because we knew what to do. And so often progesterone is the first thing that is offered to women when they start going through changes. And often no testing is done. People just say, oh, you're having some issues. You're having some weight gain, some brain fog. Your hormones are changing. Great. Well, here's progesterone. And that can work for some people. But if someone doesn't have enough estrogen and has enough progesterone, that's not going to work. That's why the testing is so helpful. And it was so great we did that so we could see what she needed. Now, because hormones and thyroid have such an interrelationship, I also looked at a full thyroid panel. When we got those results back, while she was in the lab's range, she did have suboptimal T3. And because of that, what was happening is she wasn't converting her T4 to T3 as well. And that made her the low T3 thyroid type. And by the way, if you're interested about knowing your thyroid type or learning more about thyroid types, I do Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism webinars. I do them every other month. So please stay tuned. Um, You'll probably get an email from me. If you're not on my email list, you can get on the email list. I'll put all of that information in the show notes. And then you can see how important it is to know your thyroid type and how you can figure out what your thyroid type is as well. Now for Justine, because she was the low T3 thyroid type, but her T3 was still within the lab's range, but just not optimal. It wasn't low enough to warrant T3 medication. She didn't necessarily have to take a prescription. But what we could do and what we did was actually support her conversion so that her body was better able to convert the T4 to T3. So we worked on her gut and her liver, and we worked on specific minerals to get that conversion to happen as best as it can. We used reacted zinc by orthomolecular. She was low in zinc, and zinc is one of the minerals that helps conversion. And then we did a little bit of liver cleansing and a little bit of gut support as well. As we were doing that, we also did a diet cleanup. We added more anti-inflammatory foods, and then we looked at her personal care products for chemicals and cleaning products for chemicals and anywhere where we can start to switch from things that have more toxins to products that use more natural ingredients. And that really made a big difference. Now, to make sure that she is properly metabolizing her hormones, we supported her methylation. And we did that with a methylated B complex. We used the B Supreme from Designs for Health. And then we also used a small dose of calcium deglucrate. I used calcium deglucrate from Designs for Health as well. And we did that to make sure that her liver pathways were open and that the estrogen is being properly metabolized. And then along with this, we used Brocco Protect by Designs for Health. And by the way, I will put all of these in the show notes so that you can see everything for yourself. Now, Brocco Protect is one of my favorite sulforaphane supplements. And this is really, really important for anyone that is doing estrogen support. What I love about this product is that it does not lower estrogen the way something like a DIM would. DIM is diendomethane, and it's used often to help with estrogen metabolism, but it does have this lowering effect. And because her hormones are already starting to decline and we're not using high doses of estrogen, I wanted to be really careful about lowering estrogen in any way. And so it's great because the Brocco Protect helps to shift our pathways without lowering it. Now we have three pathways where estrogen can go and it can go towards the 2-hydroxy, the 4-hydroxy, or the 16-hydroxy estrogen. Now four is 
the pathway that creates the most issues. So it's almost what I call the bad pathway. And then 2-hydroxy is the pathway where estrogen should ideally go, and it's the best way to metabolize it. And then the 16 is somewhere in the middle. And so BroccoProtect helps to steer things in the right direction so it goes more towards the 2-hydroxy pathway versus the 4, which is the really negative one that creates a lot of free radicals and DNA damage. And the 16 is kind of in the middle, and we do have a little bit of estrogen going down the 16 pathway, but we don't want too much going there. And so BroccoProtect really has this nice steering effect of making it go in the right direction, so to speak. Now, what is so neat about hormone support is that it works fast and together with thyroid and diet support, Justine saw a shift by her next cycle. She felt like the fat around her abdomen was starting to come off. She had more energy. She didn't feel nearly as stressed and she just felt really excited about everything. Now we're going to continue to track her levels as things may need to be shifted and increased over the next few years to keep her body in that most optimal state. But she was so excited to see the change. You know, even that initial change, it just gives so much motivation and to have a plan and not a plan for just right now, but to really know what her plan is going to be moving forward because the whole topic can really be very confusing. So it's just nice to know what you're doing and where you're going. Now, if Justine sounds like someone you know, will you please share this episode with them? And please be sure that you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And remember, when it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. Thyroid and Hashimoto's Revealed. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.